Welcome to Every Business Counts, the podcast which shows how money and numbers can support you to build a sustainable business. My name is Lynn Mann and I'm an accountant and a coach with over 20 years experience. In each episode, I will be exploring how money and your business numbers can help amplify the impact you want to make by focusing on purpose and profit. Because every business counts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Business Counts. My name's Lynn Mann and today I have with me Alisa Barkan. So Alisa is a financial coach and consultant who helps people rewrite their financial stories. She works with young professionals and small business owners who wish to decipher their finances and improve their financial situation and their relationship with money. Alisa is a prize winner chartered accountant sorry, Chartered Certified Accountant and a Double Qualified Coach. She also teaches at the University of Cambridge. Alisa hosts her own YouTube channel, The Savvy Corner, and writes articles for HBR Ascend. Thank you for joining me today, Alisa, and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Money is uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And it was, I think you were one of the first people I came across on LinkedIn who was also talking about money and um, numbers. And and I was interested in um, in that because my background, as you know, is also accountancy and coaching so it was great to find other people with a uh, with similar um passions i guess yeah uh, so my first question for you is actually what inspired you to move from being an accountant to becoming a financial coach um i actually moved from being an accountant to being still an employee but um having more commercial oriented roles um business operations analyst, commercial analyst, that type of stuff. So I hadn't been practicing accountancy for a while when I moved into financial coaching. But what prompted me to become a coach was that I I wasn't really making the impact that I was hoping to make in my job. And at one point, it dawned on me that, you know, what, what I'm seeing as my impact there's a bunch of numbers changing on the bottom of a spreadsheet. And, you know, I thought to myself, is this really <laughs> it? Is this what this is? I couldn't see myself for the next 30, 40 years, who knows when we were retired, uh, doing the same thing. And I knew I wanted to impact people. I just didn't really know how to do that. What I also knew was that I wanted to impact people with the skills and the knowledge that I already had. I wasn't prepared to change careers again. And I didn't want to spend another three, four years qualifying as something and then having to start all over again. Plus, I really enjoy working with numbers. So there was a bit of a conflict there for me because I was doing the job that had to do with numbers and I liked that. But there was also the the part of me that said, you can do more than this, and I want you to do more than this, so let's figure it out. And, you know, I, I discovered financial coaching after, um, after I realized that I needed to, to, to do, make a different kind of impact. 
and then I take it from there. I love that story because I can relate to it because that was a similar thing for me in that I, I didn't feel I was making an impact in what I was doing. Um, and, but where we differ is it took a long time for me to actually come back to finance and numbers and join them with coaching. And what I love about what you share is that actually you've been able to combine two things you really enjoy. So working with numbers and with helping other people um, and make more of an impact. And yeah. that's, that is a, a brilliant place to be in because it means you can make the impact you want to make while you're enjoying what you're doing, which makes a big difference when you have to get up every day. <laughs> yeah, and it took me a while. I had to believe that there is something for me to do to combine all of these things because when I was having all these questions, I didn't even know financial coaching existed. I didn't know much about coaching at all, let alone financial coaching. So it was a very great surprise when all of a sudden I discovered this whole new world thinking, yes, this is it. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And of course, I did have to be trained, but not to the point of, you know, when you do an, account, uh, an accountancy qualification, it takes you years. It took me two and a half years to qualify as an accountant. And I didn't want to do that again. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very lucky, I think. I think if it didn't exist, I would have started it and invented it because <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely something that people need. And it's, um, I've had such a transformation in my clients when we do financial coaching together that, um, yeah, where, where has this been all this time? <laughs> and, and it's brilliant to hear that, that you do have that transformation because people are becoming to you because they're, they're facing challenges within their, their life as regards to, to money and the, the financial state. So what are the biggest challenges that you actually find your clients are facing when they're dealing with money? Mm. So I think um, the biggest challenge that kind of overarches everything is a mindset challenge. What, they, what their expectations are in terms of what they can achieve for themselves, and also comparing with other people thinking that they should be doing the same things, they should be earning more or the same as their peers, whatever. Um, and that really impacts on their definition of financial success and the confidence that they have around money and numbers. And a lot of them say, oh, I'm not good with this. I, I was never good with it. I just don't know how to deal with my money. So I think that's, um, and also the emotions that come with money, a lot of um, negative emotions. I think that's kind of the overarching theme that I'm seeing with both types of my clients. And I say both types because I work with people on their personal finances, but I also work with them on their business finances. So in terms of personal finances, um, I think the biggest issues are um, overspending. So people not seeing a lot of their salary at the end of the month. And uh, also debt is a big one. People want you to clear debt and to improve your credit score because they have some financial goals that need a clear credit score. And they, they want to move on without having this burden of oh, owing money to someone. And in terms of business finances, probably the biggest hurdle is with regards to pricing, selling, okay. charging, 
Um, so people not feeling confident or not feeling worthy of charging for the services that they offer. And this is because I, I work with a lot of coaches. And for coaches, helping is a big value. Yeah. So they don't think that they should be charging for help. Help comes <laughs> from a place of generosity and from a place of, you know, wanting to be helpful, not necessarily wanting to charge for that help because then it's not help anymore or, and it invalidates the whole thing. So those would be the, the biggest challenges. And what's great that you highlight there is that first it's the mindset, but also there's the, the practical element and it's like the two go hand in hand. But would you say that initially they have to um, start to work on their mindset to allow them to be able to move on the practical side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we work together, one of the first things that we do is to look at, well, what is your relationship with money? What do you believe is possible for you? What do you believe about money in general? How does it make you feel? Because I always tell this to my clients, you can have this amazing strategy that someone's put together for you or with your help or whatever, and you're following it to the letter. If your mind is sabotaging your efforts, you're never going to get to your financial goal. Also, if we start with the financial goals, if someone says to me, I want to buy a house, and I just take that at face value, it might be that they don't actually want that. They might want to be included. They might want to for their parents to be proud, whatever it might be. And that's the reason why they buy the house, rather than I really want a place of my own. So I start with questioning that, and there's a lot of mindset work that goes before we actually get to the crunching the numbers and um putting the strategy together which is actually the easy bit once you've done (laughs) all of the um all of the mindset work and the same with um business i wouldn't be able to start talking about okay let's put a price together and let's put a packaging together and let's um put a strategy for your business together when they don't have the mindset of a business owner or they don't think that anyone is willing to pay for their services. They don't think that what they have to offer is valuable. All that kind of stuff needs to be cleared before we move into the practicalities of, okay, how much, where, with who, and all that kind of stuff. So you really do highlight a lot of um, interesting obstacles there because it's, you know, when you're talking about people with their individual goals and financial goals actually what i find fascinating is that it's actually challenging the goal so what's behind that goal and is it that goal is that goal really what they want so helping them to to step back from the i have to do this and think well what is it you really want is this for you what's the motivation behind it and lining something up but then on the opposite side with the um with the business people, then it's really what you're saying, a lot of this is around self-worth and not having that self-worth because they're coming from that place of, I just want to to help. So really having to get them to understand the value they're giving so that they can then translate that into their, their pricing, their strategy, whatever. So it really kind of leads on to kind of the next question, which is, I think, well, 
I would like to know, are there any additional key steps that people can take to become financially confident in their personal and business life? We've talked a lot about mindset, but is there anything, any additional specific things that would help them? Yeah, um, I actually have a video about this and uh, where I use a model that was developed by a person called Dan Sullivan. Okay. And he talks about the um, four C's. The first, the, the last one is confidence, but there are three C's before that. Uh, before you can become confident in anything, you have to have commitment, you have to have courage, and then you need to have capability. So the commitment is the first step of you saying something needs to change. You know, I've been in this for a while now. I tried, some people do, they try by themselves. I tried to do this, I stuck with the budget for a while, it didn't work, or I lowered my prices, I tried coaching for free, it didn't work. I am at a point where I am making a commitment to myself that this needs to change. So that's your commitment, that's the first step. After that, you need courage, because committing to something verbally, anyone can do it. It's one thing to say something needs to change, and it's another to take the first step towards doing whatever you need to do for that to change. So the courage is actually taking action, taking the first steps, working with someone, or at least contacting someone and saying, hey, I need help, putting yourself out there. Having the courage to say, no, this is my price. And if you don't want to pay it or you can't afford whatever, I'm going to refer you to someone else. Or I'm, I'm going to wait for when you're ready. Having the courage to believe that what you have to offer is valuable. So that's the second step, courage. And then capability is building your muscle of doing it. The more sales conversations you have, the more... Um, you know, the more reviews of your budget and discussions with your friends and um, sticking to, I don't know, a certain allowance for certain things like going out, whatever, I'm trying to kind of mix here business with uh, personal finances. But the more you do it, the more you start to believe, actually, I can do this. And there's a bit of imposter syndrome in here, and I'm talking about business stuff. When you're first client says yes to your full price, you're all of a sudden thinking, there is one person now in this world <laughs> who is willing to pay this much for what I have to offer. Then you finish your coaching engagement with that person, and at the end of it, they give you a testimony and they say, this has been great. So the more experience you get, the more you build your capability so that you can become confident that, you know, actually, I can do this. And when you become confident, and this is the beauty of it, you will have other goals and you start committing to something else and you will start the circle all over again. <laughs> and you keep moving through this circle because money blocks and money problems, they are never disappearing, right? It's just a different type of problem. Yeah. In the beginning, let's say in your personal finances, your problem, you're a graduate, might be, I can't find a job. I don't have any income. Then you find the job and the problem is I'm spending too much of this money. I can't see any, any of it at the end of the month. And then you fix that and you reduce your debt. Now the problem becomes, I have no savings. I'm starting to think about maybe starting a family, whatever it might be. So there's another problem. And then all the mindset that comes with it. Some people earn quite a lot of money and then they think, 
I don't deserve all this money. I come from a family where we were quite, you know, not poor, but modest background. Who am I out of all of my siblings to be earning this much? Because I'm not the smartest, or at least I don't consider myself to be. I'm not above them. How are they seeing me when I go to the um, family gatherings and I give them presents that are expensive? How does that make me feel? How do they relate to me? All sorts of issues that come with every level of income or with every level of your business. So you always have to go through the circle of having commitment, courage, capability, and then becoming confident in something and deciding, well, I could be doing more. So let's make a commitment to that and go through it again. That really is a great um, framework to use. And as you say, kind of that having that awareness that actually it starts again, but starting with that commitment, but really being committed because it does take courage to take those steps and being aware of that, I think, really helps you move in in that direction. Mm. Um, and then, as you say, having the, the capability before you can move into the confidence and you get that competence, confidence loop going backwards and forwards. But what I really enjoyed with what you were sharing was that you actually illustrated how it is an ongoing process that you're always going to be moving on to another stage. It's not something you do once and you stay there. And so again, it's going back to, to the mindset and having that almost that courage to be constantly moving forward and pushing yourself to that next stage. Um, so thank you for sharing that because I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it and a great framework to just help people to think through it. Yeah, and it's also quite liberating because there is no arriving, right? Yeah. You are doing this for the rest of your life, or at least that's how I see it. I see my life as a continuous learning curve. And one of my personal values and one of my values for my business is growth. If I'm not growing, you might as well be <laughs> So the fact that you know this is just one step, there is no getting to this end, whatever, it's just a little bit off. So I can take it easy, just take it as it comes, and not chase something that is elusive over here, not actually enjoy the process of getting there. If you know that there is no there, there's a, a sort of movement towards, you know, being the greater person and comparing yourself with you. There's no rush. There's no, oh, I feel so bad about this. There's no um, anxiety about having to reach that point sooner because you are just walking on this path and you will continue to do so for the rest of your life. Some people do it quicker and some slower, but it doesn't mean you're not making progress. That is a, a brilliant way to look at it. And it is that um, recognition that we're all on a journey and it's our individual journey. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is, is doing. That's their journey. But also what I like is the, the fact that where you're saying you're continually walking along your path and I guess when I look at things, I look at it as always going up a mountain yeah. and the the path straight up the mountain is never the easiest. It is that kind of meandering path. But you may not be able to see where you're going to um, at the next stage. 
and you keep walking till you get to that way marker and then you can find the direction to the next bit. And it's, I guess it's a similar thing in that you know where you're going to now and then when you go there, you know there's going to be something, another destination that you're going on as well. And, and it's just allowing yourself to evolve and grow and continue on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's, it's a much healthier way of looking at it mm. rather than attaching your happiness to this end goal that, you yeah. know, maybe you won't reach or even if you do, it might be halfway thinking, actually, I don't even want to go there anymore. Yeah. Because you have found happiness on the way, right? I see a lot of people attaching happiness to a number. When I'll make six figures in my business, I'll be happy. And I can guarantee you pretty much that they will not. Because if you are not happy on the journey of starting your business and figuring it out and just, you know, increasing your revenue month after month, you're just frantically hustling and working yourself to death for this six-figure point. When you get there, you will probably be so exhausted or you have pushed away so many of your friends and family and whatever that you actually won't find happiness there. Instead, why not find happiness that today you were better than yesterday compared to yourself? Yeah. And then tomorrow, you know that you will make an effort to be even better. And if the effort is there, the commitment is there, then you can actually sleep well at night thinking, well, I gave it my all today. I'll just take it as it comes tomorrow. Yeah, that is beautiful. Um, and I heard a story recently where somebody had done something like that and this was back in the, the dot-com boom mm -hmm. and all of a sudden and I think it was their target was they were going to be happy when they had um, two million dollars to retire on mm -hmm. and they got an offer for their business that was two hundred thousand not sorry sorry two hundred million dollars and they turned it down because somebody they knew had been offered more for their business and then um, the dot-com crash happened and their business failed. And so they were left with nothing. Mm. And it is that thing, but it isn't, it's exactly as you say, it isn't money that makes us happy. The happiness has to come from inside. And then the money we can use as we wish to, to help us, to support us, but it's not the money that's making us happy. Yeah, I was kind of hoping you would say they turned it down because they realized running their business makes them happy. But, you know. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> but it just really emphasized your point in that, and it didn't, and in the end, they, they lost out totally and were back to the, their original, I'll be happy when, I'll, I'll retire when. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. the danger of attaching happiness to a number and then comparing with other people, with other businesses. Nobody is going to be exactly like you. No other business will be identical to yours. And therefore, you, know, you have to take that um, into account when you calculate your prices, when you calculate whether to say yes or no to an offer, when you decide whether to work with someone or not. So, yeah. Absolutely. So why is it important to build a financially resilient business? Well, I think it's important, one, for survival, because we've all been in a situation where our businesses 
have been affected by the pandemic. So if you don't have a business that has the, the, the structure in place to make it withstand something like this, then you risk losing your business because, because of a, of a pandemic or any other uh, major economic and social catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> I can call it that. Um, that happens. And also, from my point of view, it's peace of mind too. I don't always want to be wondering or thinking, well, if something were to happen, will my business be able to survive? And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should always expect something bad to happen. But when I know that my business has all the systems in place to withstand whatever, then maybe I am more inclined to take a risk with some proposal or an opportunity or whatever, because I know that the core of my business is resilient and therefore I can rely on that if things go wrong. If you don't have the infrastructure in place, there might be an opportunity coming your way that sounds amazing, but that's also very risky and it can wipe away your entire business if you say yes to it, whilst as having the structure in place to know that your core business will survive, then it just gives you more leeway and more opportunity to enjoy, to explore, to have fun. Like, why are we, I am of the, of the idea recently that you have to have fun running your business. I didn't start my business to be grumpy all the time or to, uh, <laughs> to be engrossed in whatever strategy work all the time. Although, when I first started, I thought this was going to be it. But doing it for one and a half years full time now, I start to realize if I'm not having fun with it, and by having fun, I mean enjoying it and feeling good about it and about myself, then what is the point? Because I could just go and have a nine to five job, come home, wipe my hands clean of everything that's happened at work during that day and have a reset for I don't know how many hours and then go back with my own business. I don't have to reset. But the fact that I enjoy working in the business um, is basically my my reward for being a business owner. And I think that's important. So if you don't have a business that is robustly constructed, how you can have fun with it? Because you're always Mm -hmm. going to be worried about, well, is this going to work? Will this survive? Should I do this? Is this a big, too big of an investment? Whatever. So I think one important thing is um, the uh, different sources of income that you have as a business owner, especially if you are a one man or a one woman band. Restricting your income to only one source, let's say coaching, is risky. Um, which is why I'm an advocate of having multiple sources of income and also having ways for people to pay you easily. Um, but that's, you know, maybe it comes when your business is a bit more advanced. But, you know, if someone really wants to buy from you, there's no uh, easy way for them to do it as in click a button and, and let's do this. Some people might be put off by that and might just go, Okay, maybe later, maybe I'll change my mind, maybe whatever. So thinking about this as a resilience um, technique is also important. It's not just 
cash flow. And I know these are things that you talk about um, all the time on your podcast. I just want to bring a different perspective. Mm. It's also about resilience. Your resilience is the business owner. If you stop running the business because you can't deal with the situation personally, then you probably your business is not going to survive. So thinking about the continuity of your business and how this entity will survive beyond me, or if I want to retire, can I still leave a legacy behind? That's also part of uh, building a, a resilient business. And there's, you know, there's elements of it, but I think the, the most important thing is survival in terms of not losing your main source of income and legacy as well. I, I would like my grandchildren or whatever to still be able to um, find my concepts and to relate to what I'm saying as a financial coach and to my work beyond me working full-time in this business. I want it to be something that continues in the future, whether I'm here or not. You raised some really um, great points there because it is that, so when you're talking about a financially resilient business, it can be, yes, it has to have that that cash flow and how do you ensure that you um, are able to adapt quickly if things change. But also um, what came across was that, that actually having all the the foundations, the infrastructure in place, the things that will take away the almost the worry, the panic um, in being able to do something and to ensure that everything is just set up and you know that actually if I'm going to um, sell something, the process is there already, it's it works is is really important as well. But then moving through that and going back to actually, it's about the the business owner, the individual being resilient as well. And that recognition that if you're working solidly and you're not enjoying it, you can actually you become more stressed, you run down, you can't run your business. So then your business is not resilient. And I think that is a really important point because it's often something that gets forgotten. And particularly in the entrepreneurial space, there is this idea that you have to work really, really hard. You have to put in all the hours. And it's when you're doing that, you're not necessarily actually being productive anymore. You're not being resilient in your business. So... Thank you for for expanding that question and bringing all those elements in because I think they're all really important and it's it's great for people to to have that awareness that actually there are different elements of resilience within their business. Yeah, for sure. And this is the reason I I bring this into our discussion is because it's very relevant to me right now. I'm just filming a video this week where I'm trialing working only four hours a day as an entrepreneur. Wow. And meetings don't count and client work doesn't count and, you know, social media interactions don't count. But I actually have a timer and I time myself four hours after which I say, okay, I'm done for the day and mm-hmm. just do something else because my business allows me to do that. 
and see how this affects my productivity over an entire week. So far, today is day number two. I've already done three hours. I'll do another hour after our call. And it's been going well. I find that, you know, when you have this expectation, I'll work until nine o'clock in the evening, which is like, ah, I've got plenty of time. When you only have four hours and you're thinking the clock is ticking, um, it, it really makes you so much more productive and also so much more selective. So it just frees up time for that joy, for being able to spend time with family in the evening or even go somewhere for half a day or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying I'm going to do this for the rest of my entrepreneurial life, but it is possible. And for the weeks that, you know, are lighter on in terms of how much um, work you need to put in and the deadlines that you have, why not do something like this? But I don't think we think about it like that. We just think, oh, wow, how could I, like, if I'm not working, the business is not functioning properly. And that's just not true. So. It's, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually seeing how this experiment goes because mm-hmm. I think it is, it's a great one, uh, challenge to do. And I know when I, um, worked part time, I found I was much more focused. This was, um, when I was working in a, in corporate still, but I was work much more focused because I knew I had to go at certain times that I wasn't in certain days and you, you just do it. The difficulty was obviously there was a, for me, just because of how I operated, there was a guilt factor. Um, so again, that goes back to the mindset. But interestingly, the, there is still that element. And I know there's, these are out things you talk about on some of your videos, but from having worked in corporate, there is that still, okay, I need to sit down and start working at nine o'clock. Mm. And it's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's the employee mindset. Yeah. Of attaching, um, money to your time versus the other way around. So for, for an employee, time is money. For an entrepreneur, I think money is time because they can buy more time. They can buy help in your business. That's why we start the business. Everyone talks about flexibility and doing what you love. And then they all forget it after one year of being full-time in business because the expectation you have as an employee is really quite different to what you encounter as a business owner. I mean, we have to understand that and to accept it that it it takes a while to adjust especially if you've worked in corporate for such a long time yeah you're not going to be able to make the switch immediately and uh, be a very uh, efficient and effective entrepreneur you have to go through the trial and error of finding what works for you and sometimes that means overworking and realizing hold on a second what am i doing like <laughs> Why am I doing this in the first place? And reminding yourself why you started the business and um, trying to, you know, to make it work as per your vision, as per what you wanted in the first place. But yeah, the mindset has a lot to do with it. And I think that's um, another good point in this thinking. So I like people to think about there's a purpose for you and a vision for your business, but there's also one for you. Yeah. And you have to make sure that the two are aligned because if you throw everything in on your business, you can start to become resentful, which, you know, 
you've been talking about a lot. You've not used those words, but effectively that's what you're saying is make the most of your business, ensure that you understand what's behind what you're yeah. doing um, and enjoy it. Uh, I think it is important for people to to kind of think of themselves as separate from the business and look at both sides to see, actually, is this working for the business? Is it working for me? Yeah, and I talk, I talk about this a lot in terms of there's an overlap between you as the individual and you as the business owner. But the overlap shouldn't be the entire circle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, um, and unfortunately, you know, when you start out and it's just you and your business, you have to be both the employee and the business owner. You yeah. have to. But some people forget to be the business owner. Yes. They're just another employee in their own business, basically. So they don't do the strategic work. They don't do the uh, bird's eye view. Okay. I am being productive but it's it's what i am um accomplishing as a result of that productivity does that take me closer to my goal because productive can be well i am able to um produce five pieces of content every week and post every day on LinkedIn. fine does that get you more inquiries do you have more yeah. conversations and more interest from people with regards to that and if you, the answer is no then you as the business owner should say we need to change strategy. We've been doing this for a few months. It doesn't work. Let's do something else. Versus you, the business owner, can just be, oh, hand off. I'm just doing what, what I believe is in my job description. And that's it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, there, there has to be this distinction between the two. There's certainly an overlap, but, um, I think the more advanced you become in your business, and running your business, the overlap becomes smaller and smaller. Earlier on, when we were talking, you were talking about mindset. You mentioned, particularly with um, with people who were, say, coaches and business owners, that had they often didn't value themselves and see how they um, understand their worth. And I just want to ask you, how does how we see our worth? actually impact ourselves and our business? I think, um, like you say, a lot of people, and this is normal, when you start out, you identify your business with you. Your business is you. People are buying you <laughs> or yeah. time with you. And that's true. The people are buying uh, the experience of working with you. And you are the face of the business. They need to trust you before they work with you. But that doesn't mean that they're buying you. As in, this is my self-worth. It's very low. Therefore, you can have a session with me for pennies. <laughs> so let's do it. And which is why I like to separate uh, self-worth from anything that has to do with pricing, charging, selling, or business in general. And I get really frustrated when I hear you know, you hear a lot of um, other coaches and people in the online space saying, you should charge what you're worth. And I was thinking, oh, no. <laughs> First of all, as human beings, we are worth, you know, infinitely more than what we can put in numbers because we are human beings. There's no number that you can attach to our worth. I am not worth more or less than someone else because I earn more or less than they do. We're all kind of 
were the same from a from a moral viewpoint, from from a human viewpoint. So if we can leave that to the side and only consider the service that we offer and the worth of that service when we consider our pricing, then that separation kind of helps people who are a bit nervous or have imposter syndrome to actually say, you know what, this is not about me. What I'm selling in my business is not about me, it's about my client. Because if I were to be a financial coach for people who are going through a divorce and I go to a happily married woman and say, would you like my services? They'll be like, no, thank you, I'm happily married. Whilst as someone who's going through a divorce can say, oh yes, you're exactly what I was expecting and I am willing to pay you so much to help me with this. The service that I'm offering you is exactly the same. So how is that possible? That someone's willing to not pay anything for it and someone's willing to pay a hefty sum. It's because of them, not because of me. So mm -hmm. my self-worth has nothing to do with how much people are willing to pay for my services. It's the worth of the service to that person that makes all the difference, which is why it's so important to know who is it that you're working with, what kind of problems do they have, how can you help them solve their problems, Beyond, am I good enough? Or am I intelligent enough? Am I smart enough? You can't be, especially as a coach, you can't be selfish to think, am I, is this about me? No, it's not. So if you can leave that at the door and actually focus on what you have been trained to do as a coach, which is help people, focus on them, listen to what they need and offer them a solution, you are perfectly capable of doing that, just like everyone else who is trained as a coach. Some are better than others, whatever, but it has nothing to do with how much you or how highly you think of yourself. And, you know, this, we know of people who are um, famous and they still um, experience imposter syndrome. And we're thinking, how can this even be possible? But it is. And yet they're so successful and they are winning awards and um, we know of actors who have won Oscars and so on, and they still think to themselves, I'm about to be discovered, that I'm a fraud and whatever. I, I have an entire video about this, but what I do want to emphasize is if you allow yourself and your opinion of yourself to come into the equation, then you're already kind of jeopardizing your efforts to grow your business, to sell your services to expand your offering and so on. Yes, of course, you should be working on yourself. And if you think that you don't deserve it, you are not worth it, all that kind of stuff, you have to go over those barriers. But first of all, I think you need to learn to detach yourself. And the easiest way would be, what if you were to sell the service on behalf of someone else? It's not mm -hmm. you who's offering it. It's exactly the same service, but it is offered by this the most amazing coach who's won <laughs> accolades and whatever. What would you say to a client if you were to be an intermediate? This is the kind of thing that you need to be doing for yourself as well. Leaving your persona at the door, your own individual at the door, and just step into the business owner who's actually doing a transaction because that's what's so new. There's again so much within that, but but just focusing on that back last part, it really ties back to um, what we were talking about earlier of that 
distinguishing between yourself as the business owner and as the employee. Mm. And and again, here it doesn't matter, you know, if you're a coach, if you're say doing copywriting, whatever the services are that you're providing, the concepts are exactly the same. But by putting yourself in those that business owner's shoes and detaching yourself from this is about me, mm. that's a really good tip um, to help people because very often, as you say, it is. Um, and I, I, I really, really made me smile when you talked about being, was, I can't remember your exact words, but it was about, you know, if you think it's about you, you're being selfish. And it was just, um, I guess it just made me sit up and think. And it is a, an amazing way to put it across because it is that thing that, yes, absolutely, it's not about you. It's about the service and whether the person wants that service. And that's the value is to them. So what is the value to them? And if you start to bring, so what you're saying, if you bring in your doubts in, and you're knocking yourself worth, actually that negatively impacts the business and your ability to to develop it and um, to grow. Absolutely, and it's a vicious circle because if someone says no to you, instead of saying, well, this service wasn't appropriate for them, mm. you're saying I wasn't good enough or I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't a good enough coach for this person to want to pay me. And therefore, you will want to do less sales conversations and you yeah. want to put yourself out there and you might be considering lowering your prices or whatever. And again, if you come from that mindset, who's going to believe you if you can't believe in yourself? Mm. And if you can't believe that you can do it, if you can't believe you deserve it or you're worth it or whatever, this is going to show in all of the actions that you do in your business and on your business. And therefore, your business won't grow. Yeah. So again, it's really going back to to the to the start to the to the mindset, coming from that right mindset, and then going through the the steps that you talked earlier, the four C's. But at the same time, allowing yourself to be the person working in the business and the person working stepping back and working on the business. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So I've got one last question for you. So what experiences have you had or stories you learned as a child influenced how you look at money? Well, I guess my experience growing up influenced how, how I look at money. Um, and as you know, I was born in Romania. And um, yeah, when I was born, money didn't have a lot of power. When I was born and shortly after, so for, for my childhood years, I would see money in the house always because, you know, people had money, not a lot of it, but they all had jobs. There was no such thing as you were unemployed or very, <laughs> very low unemployment rates because the government would give you, would give you some sort of job. And people had money, but because they had nothing to buy with it, the shops were kind of empty. You ended up accumulating it. And so that's what I was growing up with. I remember my parents wanted to furnish my bedroom and it took them months to find furniture. They just couldn't wow. find anything. And the only reason they could find it was because uh, it had some sort of flaw 
and it was refused for export. So everything that they did in Romania, they uh, built it for export. And because this one was refused, we were able to sell it within the country. And it was like 300 miles away from where my parents lived. That's how difficult it was to find some sort wow. of furniture for masters now. You just, there's so many choices, you get overwhelmed. But this is what I was seeing growing up. I could see money and my parents kept it very visible in our house. It wasn't, uh, of course, there were no cards back then. So it was all cash. So I was used to seeing cash, to seeing cash, my parents' cash and also my own cash because I would get money for singing Christmas carols and all that stuff. And because there was nothing much to do with it, that's to enjoy seeing it freely <laughs> and counting it all the time and, uh, you know, actually inspecting the, it was a paper, inspecting the paper and the coins and noticing details in them and so on and looking at this thing as a kind of an abstract thing. I knew we could buy things, but at the same time, so it had the potential to buy things, but it couldn't in reality because the things were not there to be bought. But, mm. But you could get things in a different way if you knew someone or if you um, knew who to talk to or whatever. So from that point of view, um, resourcefulness was my uh, the spirit in which I was brought up. So not resources, not money, not um, stuff that you could buy things with or trade things for, but rather resourcefulness. How can you leverage your contacts and your network? How can you find out more about this? How can you find a way to get whatever it is that you want um, with buying it being kind of the last resort. So that was one dynamic that I experienced as a child. And it shaped my relationship with money because I, I respected its purchasing power, but I didn't really give it much more um, attention apart from that. I knew money was something valuable. At the same time, I could see how something valuable as money couldn't get you something equally valuable as a pair of trousers or whatever, because you're growing out of the ones that you already have. So that was one. And the fact that I've always seen money and I've always been around it and I always have some, I guess I got used to the idea that I will always have some of what are you talking about? There is no money because I haven't, and I don't want you to think that I was rich growing up because I really wasn't. But I remember exactly that if I went um, into a particular drawer in my parents' house, I would I would see the money and I could count it and I could uh, observe the details and I also have my own. So from that point of view, I was very independent as a as a child because I had my own money and later on, when there was scope to actually do something with that money, uh, my parents gave me um, what in Romania you call an allowance. Yeah, so it's a small sum or it was when I was growing up. But I was able to manage that allowance so well that I could buy clothes when I was a teenager and a little bit of makeup and all that kind of stuff. I never had pocket money. My parents never gave me pocket money apart from this allowance. And the allowance would last me for a month or for a day, and that was my choice. But I also had savings from that allowance, which when I was growing up, that was the equivalent of what is now about four pounds a month. Give you an indication of how much that was. and then going to university, I had a scholarship, which again, the scholarship is the equivalent of 50 pounds a month in, um, in um, British money. But I, I managed to just, I never considered it, oh, this is so little. 
I just consider that this is what I have. Therefore, yeah. let me make the most of what I have. And I guess that, that was always my, my idea, making the most with what you have. And that includes your mind as well, because I knew money, I could make more money, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make other stuff like family and I couldn't make more of family moments and yeah. the things that um, I might be missing because I was chasing money all the time. Although that was never mine. It was never my thing. I just looked at the experience and what it would give me intellectually and what it would give me in terms of resourcefulness. That's how I looked at, at anything that I invested my money in. And if I knew that it would make me a better person in terms of being able to produce more in the future, then I'll spend my money on that. It wasn't a case of, oh, well, how much money do I have now? And <laughs> how much is this, um, does this cost? And how, how much of a, of a budget allowance would that be? Only when I got older, I got into that kind of stuff. But as a kid, it was just a case of, will this advance me as a person? Then, okay. If I can afford it, I'll buy it. Never on um, debt. We never had that concept when I was little. My parents always, always taught me if you can't buy it outright, then it means you cannot afford it. So you either save for it or you don't have it, which meant that I usually save for something I really want. I was really looking forward to hearing your story because I knew it would be so different from the kind of the UK story but what I really love is the resourcefulness mm -hmm. and the fact that so the money's there but actually it's not necessarily going to help you get what you want and so you've got to work out how do you get what you want but at the same time you know particularly at the end there you were talking about actually is spending this money going to help me in the future, is it going to help me become a better person? And that awareness that actually it's understanding what you want from the money, what you're going to do with the money. It's not just a case of, oh, I have the money, I'm just going to go and buy this or buy that. It's that very considered, actually, how does this help me? What do I need? Um, which is a great, a great way to look at it. Um, so it's yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I, I was I was curious because having looked at your website as well, I was curious to see what you were, you would make um, share. But I do think that just going back to it, it's almost like you don't develop the same level. It removes the emotional attachment to it. And makes money what it is, which is a tool of exchange. Mm -hmm. And and we it's going back to what you we were talking about in um, before about worth. Actually, we attach the value, so you're exchanging the money for the value of the goods or services mm -hmm. as you perceive them. Yeah. And and that's really what money is about. Yeah, money is never the end game. It's just a tool to support your other goals. Yeah. And if you can support your other goals, then fine, but it's not the only option. You can have other tools in your disposal inside of you that can support your other goals. And usually, when you have that kind of attitude, money will follow in you. And as a, a brilliant reminder to, to actually 
go inside, look at how else can I do this? Don't just think there is only one route to getting what you want. Use your inner strengths, use your skills and, and go down that direction. Wonderful. Well, thank you ever so much for coming and speaking to me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and you've shared so much. Um, so thank you ever so much. And um, again, people can look at, well, they can find you on your website, it's also The Savvy Corner, and on YouTube at The Savvy Corner. Thank so you thank so you. much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Business Counts. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to our Facebook group, Every Business Counts, and share what you've enjoyed and your highlights. I look forward to sharing more with you next week. Bye for now.